just beat the Oilers. The season is already an emotional roller coaster. Austin Matthews is hurt. Uh, so we've got lots to talk about with the first ever guest on the Lamenting the Least podcast, Mayor Zilberberg. <laughs> I didn't realize I was the first guest. You are the, the very, very first. first one. Yeah. This is so exciting. And now I'm, uh, should I be nervous? I, I don't get nervous. It's okay. You should be honored. You should feel incredibly <laughs> I'm honored. I'm very honored. But I was honored We're anyways. honored to have you here. So, uh, Mayor writes for the Leafs Nation. And Mayor, you've been very busy writing this week. And we want to talk about um, a few of the pieces that you, you've written here in the last week or so. Um, we'll do that. But we want to talk about what we just witnessed. The Leafs coming back uh, with a big win over the Oilers after... Just a, a miserable. We were going to record this podcast after Wednesday's game, and I, I think I speak for all of us when I say we are thrilled to uh, be uh, to, to have pushed ahead. And now we get the, the two points under the belt, and, and we're all happier. I, I think the that, energy think. levels are going to be a little higher for this pod. It was a little tough to get through that last game. I was pretty much asleep in the third period, anyway. So I'm glad. I'm glad we're doing it tonight. Yeah, no. Same. Well, the Leafs' offense was sleeping all night against Edmonton on Wednesday too. So, yeah, Mayor, what were your uh, impressions from the game? A lot more jump uh, than than we saw on Wednesday. Um, I mean, Wednesday was like it wasn't even brutal necessarily in terms of how they played. Like, I guess it was a sort of decent defensive showing, but who wants to watch that for? three periods of hockey like it was it was just boring and hard to watch and that's not the Leafs identity in particular I mean I I don't know the Oilers that well but with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl it shouldn't be theirs either but just nobody wants to watch that and then this game got moving right away and even though you know it took a while to actually score goals it it just felt more energetic Um, at one point I kind of joked I was like are are the commentators like being extra peppy on purpose to try to trick us into thinking stuff's happening. What's going on here? <laughs> but it felt it felt definitely more energized, and and I didn't actually feel all that like nervous or or you know worried during this game until those last five minutes, really. Yeah, I, I think that that's kind of important to bring up about the defensive play because I mean everybody, fans, critics, media people, whatever it might be, have all been saying how. Not only the Leafs, but the Leafs and the Oilers are two teams that get kind of ridden about tightening up defensively. And then when they do, it was like, well, we don't want to see this. Like, what are you guys doing this for? It was, it was honestly a very, like, structurally, like, it was a coach's dream game. But it was terrible to watch. There was no, like, nothing in the inside. Everything was coming from the, the boards. It was... Or point, which is another conversation that the Leafs have been just generating a lot through the point this year. But yeah, this game was obviously much more entertaining and it started right away. Yeah, well, that might have been like Mike Babcock's coach's yeah. dream game yeah. on Wednesday night. But uh, Sheldon Keefe definitely uh, was, uh, wasn't was shy about voicing his displeasure with the, with the lack of offensive pressure and the, the lack of getting any kind of puck to the middle and generating high danger chances. But... but th- the, the point you guys made about the defensive play is a good one because f- for the last number of years, the, the biggest criticism of the Leafs has been their inability to lock down opposing star players. And they d- did a fantastic job of that yeah. with Connor McDavid, even though he scored a, a goal tonight. And, and even Seidel who racked up a goal in each game. But Justin Hall, uh, I owe him – I hope 
that somehow he hears this because I owe him a huge apology. I was hired on him in the off season and even leading into the beginning of this season, questioning his, his place on the depth chart and how secure it should be. And I would argue that he's been the Leafs best defenseman through the, the first handful of games this season. He did a fantastic job against McDavid both nights uh, against the Oilers so far. Uh, and it, last year where it might've been Muzzin propping him up, I think so far, uh, through the early part of this season, he might be covering some of the warts that uh, Muzzin is still working out of his game. So encouraging to see, definitely. Yeah, Hall, Hall deserves props. Um, Hall deserves props for sure. I, I think that, uh, I, you know, I, I was certainly someone who, who just kind of thought he was just a guy. Yeah. And uh, uh, he, he's he's turned it around. I mean, not turned it around. He was great last season. But, you know, you look at where he was two seasons ago and it was it was kind of like we were all advocating for him to get get a shot. And then it almost felt like, OK, you know, th- th- there's a balance between getting what was it two games all season and, and playing like top four with a bullet, uh, you know, but it, it seems like he's, you know, he, he's earned that spot and it's, it's, um, it, it's been impressive. I don't know if my perspective is different just cause I, because I tend to write about and cover and think about the social is- issues, I get to know the players sort of as people really deeply. And I've always thought that Justin Hall was just, I mean, in the off season of, in the COVID shutdown, he was sort of running the leaf social media engagement, yeah. doing those leaf to leaf. Like he's just, and, and so I think that I always saw glimpses of him being able to get there in a way that other people maybe weren't seeing because he had a lot of, he had a lot of kinks to work out. But I'm not I'm not super surprised. I um, I'm more surprised that Muzzin's having such a slow start. Yeah, he looks he looks very slow is a good word for it. Like he's just in kind of in quicksand out there. Like he's not he's not either he's not thinking quick enough or he's not reacting quick enough. But it, it just seems to be a step behind where he needs to be and just like grenade on his stick like he can't like the puck's not not his friend at all right now yeah, well how encouraging is it though despite that that the Leafs defense has been such an improvement in the early part of this season and, and I I think it it's not unfair to say that Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin have have not been in the top three as far as the Leafs best defenseman in the early part of this season. I think that TJ Brody, despite a, a bit of an up and down start has been fantastic. He has totally settled down that top pair and made life a lot easier on Riley. Um, Hall has been great on that shutdown pair with Muzzin. He's just, he's noticeable in all the right ways so far in the early part of the season. Travis Dermott, even in limited minutes, has been fantastic early this season. Uh, he had a, a great play tonight where he, he jumped up and pinched down the wall to, to keep the puck in uh, for Alex Kerfoot down low, who then fed Nylander, who then fed VC for the go-ahead goal. Um, I think that he, he's still pushing to show that he deserves a larger role on this team. And yeah, the, the Leafs defense is in a good spot. And if Jake Muzzin and Morgan Riley can begin to find their games a little more, uh, they're in a very good spot. Um, obviously, the big storyline coming into this one was no Austin Matthews. Um, Mayor, you know, you had some interesting thoughts on this one. Um, you know, in particular, I guess we can lead off with, you know, just the idea behind in a, a shortened season, a, a season where, you know, it's it's um, one day off between every game. Basically, it's it's game day, day off, game day. It's it's constant. And 
uh, when you get these um, players who are sore or, you know, not quite injured, but, you know, a little banged up, um, maybe not the worst idea to to give them the night off. Um, you know, what are your um, thoughts, I, I guess, on, on uh, you know, being without Matthews tonight and uh, kind of that approach? Yeah, essentially that. I think that um, the league needs to start moving away in general from this um, this push on these guys to play through pain. Um, it's not good for their physical health. It's not good for their mental health. And it's not good for the longevity of their careers. But, you know, when you have a star player, a franchise player like Matthews, who plays top minutes, who, you know, it, it, the workload is super heavy. Um, you know, when are you going to need him the most? You're going to need him the most come play playoffs or come games, you know, where things are hanging a little bit in the balance and um, good on him for recognizing in himself and good on the staff around him for recognizing in him that he wasn't feeling um, as healthy as he could or should. And maybe he needed some time off and not for nothing. Um, Matthew, Austin Matthews had COVID this past summer and nobody knows what the long-term effects of COVID are in general. We're still learning and none of us know. There has been no conversation about whether he's feeling any long-term effects, um, you know, as he moves through recovering from it. So whatever it was that was bothering him or whatever com- combination of things was bothering him, um, he his health needs to be the priority, not just because we need him to win, but because he's a person and he deserves to put his health first. Absolutely. Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think it's it's another, you know, um, important thing to note that like, you know, he's out with upper body. We have no idea what that is. And we're very unlikely to find out if, if, you know, he is uh, suffering from any of those symptoms. um, You know, that, like you mentioned, like, obviously we, we know that it it can be a big issue for, for some people. We don't know if he's having any issues at all, some, none, whatever. Um, But after, you know, the the way that the media treated uh, specifically, Steve Simmons treated uh, this, this information when he was first diagnosed with COVID, you got to think that the team, going to have it like under lock and key, right? Yes. So obviously, Matthews, that's pre- presumed to be like a short term thing. So we would think we'll see him back um, for, for you know, when they head out west. Stick tap to Alex Kerfoot for uh, stepping up tonight. I think this is arguably the, the best game we've seen from him in a Leafs uniform. I thought he was uh, really effective on that second line between Jimmy VC and William Nylander. Uh, and on the penalty kill, I thought he was great tonight. Uh, it was definitely encouraging to see him step his game up with Matthews out of the lineup too. On ice, uh, he had Kerfoot was <clears throat> six scoring chances for and one against one while he was on the ice. And not surprising from watching the game, but it was nice to see the numbers and to back it up. Nylander was eight scoring chances for and zero against while he was on the ice at five on five at, at five on five. Cause we all saw what happened on the power play. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's keep the uh, five on five <laughs> disclaimer in there. But yeah, like that was a, they, they held dry to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, dry sidles, uh, two was goals. The one were, were, <laughs> yeah. Well, dry the one that picked Nylander's pocket, uh, but dry did score two goals in these last two games, but neither of them came at even strength. So uh, again, the Leafs defense did a, a very good job of holding those, uh, dangerous offensive threats that the Oilers have in check. I think the team has, this was mentioned on Twitter before the game, but I I am very superstitious. So I don't like to say things out loud that I think might jinx the game. I'm serious. <laughs> but 
But I, I think the Leafs have a tendency to actually step up quite a bit when Austin Matthews in particular is out. This is not, it's yeah. not a new phenomenon for them. Um, they do this. Uh, whatever the mentality is that that gets them there, it's it's almost like as Leafs fans were like, well, why can't you just have that mentality all the time? Like that's the frustration. But they do. They really step up. And um, I think Kerfoot, again, I'm going to sort of fall back a little bit on the fact that I try to get to know these guys like as people too. I think he's a kind of person who like, he needs to feel really comfortable. And I almost think that Jimmy Vesey and the fact that they were classmates and they played together, they know each other. Like, I just think he's more comfortable this year than he was here last year. I think it took him, you know, plucking him out of Colorado, I think was, was really hard on him in a way that, that maybe we didn't realize, um, like emotionally. And I think that him and VC, there's some sort of relationship dynamic that has helped him settle a lot. Yeah. I think he definitely looks more comfortable early on this season. And it, it was a tough, adjustment for him coming into Toronto last year and then he had to deal with injuries and and things like that throughout the season never really seemed to get his feet under him and uh, even in the play-in series against Columbus I thought uh, he was rather invisible and that hasn't really been the case early this season he's getting crushed with uh, defensive zone starts I think he starts like four percent of his uh, shifts in the offensive zone so to even be you know, near breaking even in goal differential and things like that uh, when playing those kind of difficult minutes. It's definitely been impressive. And I think it speaks to Keefe's belief in him as a a checking center on that third line. I think you could see when everybody's healthy again, if if Hyman does end up coming back into the top six, like I could see the Kerfoot VC Mikheyev kind of slotting into that checking role. Um, I've been impressed with Mikheyev this year too. Like, hasn't necessarily finished and like you said nick he's been kind of kind of opting for some low low like low danger shots but he seems to just have an extra gear like when he has the puck this year he's looked really good and and they've looked good as a unit uh together and kind of taking on top top competition and like you said getting buried with with defensive zone starts i've had no issues with the third line at all no mikhaev has been great and when he gets going with the puck on his stick he he is a threat in transition we saw him weaving through the neutral zone even a little bit tonight and and there was one chance uh, in the game against edmonton tonight where he did drive wide and got a, a bit of a better scoring chance than we've seen from him usually where you know he comes down that that wing and just fires a weak wrister from the top of the dot or something like that. Uh, I, I think the the points are going to start coming for him, but he, he's the kind of player that he doesn't even need to be producing offensively to be a valued member of this team. He, he, he's just such a smart player and so responsible with the puck. There was, there was even a play um, late in the, the game tonight when uh, Toronto was defending the lead where he had a chance to maybe, he had maybe a 50, 50 shot at getting the puck out, at the blue line and rather than risking it he you know kind of ate it and turned back and allowed the team to regroup whereas a lot of players might just panic and, and bang that off the boards for an icing down the ice uh, it just that, that's consistently what we see from Mikheyev just really smart responsible plays and, and it's no wonder that much like I said about Kerfoot that Sheldon Keefe has trusted him in this defensive role he's also just so fast right like doesn't it blow your mind sometimes like he just, he just, yeah, he, he doesn't look like he should be that fast. Yeah. <laughs> He's just so like, to me, at least that in and of itself, um, nearly justifies not, I don't know if it needs justifying the, the Kapanen trade, like 
that was Cappy's thing, right? He was fast. No, Mikheyev is fast. Yeah, and Mikheyev actually has something going on between his ears. Yes. <laughs> well, that's why I said I don't. And he's got long, long strides. He's six three, right? Like he's got a big gangly stride on him. Like he he covers a lot of ice, and he's moving fast. Like he he flies through the neutral zone. Yeah. Yeah, like he he's alarmingly fast for the size, and, and like he can like shift speeds. Like you know, Engval can really fly for a big guy too, right? But Engval has like one gear. It's like he he gets up to speed and. And then it's try to beat the guy wide and rip one. And we've seen McKay do, like you said, you know, a little bit too much of that. But but like he he can clearly like attack in different ways. And it's about getting more comfortable. So it's it's an impressive uh, or, or an exciting like package of, of um, skills, like the size and the speed is it could be really, really fun. Um Obviously, you know, you need you need Mikheyev, right? Like you, you need these guys to step up because we're already dealing with a bunch of injuries. Um, Matthews is a short term thing, but Joe Thornton and Nick Robertson going to be about a month, it, it looks like, which sucks. Um, that's a big hit to your depth. Um, and, and uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about Robertson because he got hurt. Um, you know, last week we didn't have an update on, on how long it was going to be. And it, it seems like this is maybe like the best case scenario. They, they were maybe fearing like ACL damage or something like that. It seems that way when you call it good news and then follow that up with saying the player is going to be out for upwards of a month. uh, There was definitely some stronger initial fears there. Um, And and Thornton, it's a rib, right? Yeah. Yeah, He fractured a rib. Uh, It was a strange collision the other night. I think just really much like Robertson's injury, just a a really bad stroke of luck. Uh, Just a, you know, a, a common a collision that occurs 25 times in the course of a, a game and it you know the odd time it's going to result in a, a strange injury such as the one that the ones that Robertson and Thornton both suffered and I think it was unfortunate timing for Robertson to be hurt in the beginning just after you know finally cracking into the lineup and getting that chance and now I think I alluded to it in my prospect article at the Leafs Nation this week that it was only made worse once Thornton suffered his injury because now there is that that spot in the top nine that I think Robertson certainly would have been given a chance to to grab and run with. And yeah, it just makes the timing of the whole thing that much more unfortunate. Mary, you have any thoughts on um, the, the depth going forward? Um, like, like what, how do you, you know, it's so tough when you lose those guys and it's like, it, it puts you in such a bad position. Um, if you're to suffer like another injury or two, and it almost backs up your point about Matthews, right? Like you can't afford for Matthews to go down for a month. So like sit him now, if he's not feeling great and, and, and maybe that, that saves you more trouble down the road. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm now that we're sort of saying that out loud I I can imagine that that played into the decision making to sit him tonight we talked a little bit about um, Thornton in the TLN chat today where I what I said was and I'll repeat it because I stand by it like I'm I'm less concerned about Thornton's impact on the Leafs on ice performance than I just am feeling bad for the guy for having a rib fracture which sucks like I like that he's a Leaf I think it's fun Obviously, I know he's he's a good player and he's, you know, he's a veteran that has a great presence, but I don't think he's making or breaking our season in any meaningful way. Um, the issue, of course, is, you know, what happens to our depth. But like since he's been on our team, I've been screaming on Twitter, like, put Zach Hyman back in the top six. Like this is the- you don't even like Zach Hyman. 
<laughs> I don't, yeah, no, I, I'm not that kind of fan at all. If your listeners don't know me, that's going to sound genuine. Zach Hyman, I'm like, I'm like the president and vice president of the Zach Hyman fan club. But so I, I'm not like, I mean, I feel bad that Joe Thornton has a rib fracture and that hurts and has got to suck and he wants to play and he wants to play in Toronto and I'm happy to have him play, but I just don't think he's making or breaking um, our performance on the ice. Nick Robertson, I, I, I don't want to be redundant for what was already said. Like he can be a difference maker and also it sucks for him that this was his shot and he now has to sit on the sidelines for a while. Um, but the big thing is we just really can't afford to lose anyone else in a shortened season where most of the games are going to matter. Yeah. And every game matters that much more when it's, it's all in division play. Every game is basically a four point game. And I think the, that kind of makes the, the the Leaf staff deserve perhaps even more credit, considering that you know the, they were already banged up and Matthews was held out tonight as a precaution. So it, it seems as though they're definitely concerned with the, the long term health of the team and having everyone healthy when they need them for the stretch drive. And this goes back, I think. Also, we talked a little bit about um, the Freddie Jack balance and who's going to play when. Um, and they, they have to think about that, too, because once the playoffs get started, you're riding the hot goalie, right? So again, you don't want to have a goalie who is banged up and not feeling great and tired if he's going to play for the entirety of the playoffs. Yeah, and, and sidebar, Freddie was great oh, tonight. Yeah. We deserve, or he does. We owe him an apology as well. Um, perhaps not an apology. <laughs> I think the, the criticism was warranted, but it, he's definitely turned it around this week. Three really strong games. Um, I, he was he was probably the best player on the ice for the Leafs tonight in their victory over Edmonton. Uh, a couple of really big saves, and and early on. Uh, was it the first shift that Dreisaitl blew the doors off of Nylander? Yeah, went down for the two-on-one chance, and Freddie got across the crease and made a big save. How many times have we seen that very first opportunity of the game go in for the opposition, yeah. and we're behind the eight ball right away? So it, it was great to see Freddie making those big stops early on tonight, and even uh, the game the other night against Winnipeg, he was he made a, f- a few really big saves to keep it one nothing. Uh, before Toronto was able to score the 2 nothing goal, and, and then he was beaten for one to make it a 2-1 game. But all too often, that's a 1-1 game before the Leafs get the opportunity to score the second one. So uh, definitely a, a big turnaround for Freddie this yeah, week. Yeah, I think that's important to point out, too, about like the criticism, because he's been taking a ridiculous amount of heat on Twitter. And I, and I understand that he didn't play well the last year, and, and I understand that he had a terrible start. But we, you know, we we talked about it quite a bit off, you know, for a couple episodes on on this podcast about how, you know, he's got to figure it out and is Campbell going to take the net from him and all that stuff. I I don't want that to be lumped in with the kind of blind criticism that he's taking on Twitter right now where, you know, a shot can be tipped six times on the way in. And if he doesn't get it, it's like, oh, well, you got to make a save every once in a while. Or, you know, it, yeah. it's fucking shout out or bust or 56 wins and no losses or bust or people are pissed off at him. That, that's not I don't I think I can speak for everybody here. That's not what we were saying. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the stuff that he's getting on the Internet right now is ridiculous. Um, it's it's I, I think I said this today. I replied to somebody's tweet where it's like, it was more frustrating being on it's more frustrating being on Leafs Twitter over these last two games or last game and anyways than it was even when the team was terrible like it was just yeah ridiculous levels of criticism but um you know I, I think he's back up to an 898 and if you kind of remove you know 
the Ottawa game from the equation and uh, he, he's been good this year. He's been he hasn't he doesn't need to be a Vezina quality goaltender. He doesn't need to give you 940 something save percentage. But if he can settle into where he was in 2017-18 or six, even 2016 and be in that kind of 916 to 917 range, that's all this team needs. Uh, the the scoring chances are going to come and and they, that will be more than enough to get to kind of get the team to where it needs to be. That, that's something to touch on too is that that the the goals are are going to come. And like at the very least he he's he's turned it around quicker. Like I I think I touched on that like last episode. I I kind of joked that like, you know, the the, the slow start isn't necessarily going to be prorated, but then he went out and had three great games <laughs> so Mar- um well mara alluded to that before we got on air mara yeah. mentioned something similar to that of like it's it's like you you get your october freddy and then your november freddy but he did that in like two games in a week yeah it was like last week was october yeah. last week was october <laughs> and this week is november and tonight was probably i would say one of the best games that freddy put in since November of That's 2019. That's exactly what I was going to bring up too, that he, there was a stretch of games in November, I think when we were doing a West Coast Canada swing, am I remembering right, where he like bailed the team out a lot. Almost directly after yes. the coaching change in uh, Nove- November of 2019, where he just, yeah, what was it? 20- I'm all fucked up. This pandemic, Scott. LA. You're right. I, it was 2019. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it, that was like the last extended stretch of solid play that we saw from Anderson and yeah he was fine during the play-in series against Columbus despite the few back-breaking goals at inopportune times but tonight I think you know he's been turning it on the last couple of games a little more solid in net and looking more sure of himself and handling pucks better directing rebounds away from his net and I think tonight was really a culmination of it all starting to come together for him uh, he was he was spectacular tonight. I actually am going to say that I, now that you're saying that out loud, because you said a little more solid in net, and I think he was way more solid in net. And I yeah, think fair. my I think my level of anxiety during a game direct is directly correlated to how flaily he is in the net. Yeah. Yep. Like yeah. the more he's moving around in there, the more I'm like panicking because today I felt I said I said this before too. I felt pretty calm. Like I was like, okay, this game is going and we're we're getting our chances and we're buzzing a little. And he was he was solid. And I was like, I was zen. Yeah, well, it, he's maybe working back towards regaining his name of Steady yeah. Freddy. Yeah, he he looked like he knew where his posts were tonight which i think yeah. was important. <laughs> yeah. yeah well that was the thing like it, it wasn't like usually it's you know he, he usually looks pretty solid back there and, and pretty steady and then like pucks will get through him w- when he's not on but those first couple of games it, it was like he didn't even know where the crease was it was a yeah. mess yeah. Except there was one save yeah. tonight that I tweeted about where he wasn't like flaily, but he didn't see the puck slide in front of him. And then all of a sudden he like startled and looked down. And I tweeted this because I said he looked like my dog who can't hear anymore when he realizes when he realizes there's a treat <laughs> directly in front of him. Like, that's exactly what it looked like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But other than that, he was very solid. Yeah. He, he's bought himself some time here. Like it was, you know, we, we were all, I think, getting pretty restless um, at you know, after those first couple of starts. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a good thing for the Leafs overall that obviously Freddie's looking a lot better. Mayor, I, I don't know how it looks for your, your fantasy teams because I know you you 
went high, uh, heavy on Jack Campbell, didn't I you? I did. I have, well, I went heavy on goalies in general, which is another <laughs> no thing that way. if you follow me, I know, if you follow me on Twitter, you might know that I'm a fan of goalies. So Jack Campbell isn't like my main goalie on either of my teams, but I do have him on both. And so, you know, he played he played the win in Ottawa and that helped me out. But I also have, believe it or not, Tuka Rask. Um, I mean, he, you know, Tuka Rask's a solid goalie. Um, and I have, well, right now he's, he's out, he's injured, but I have... Frank Kuz, I have a couple other goalies, so I'm 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 okay on goalies, even if Jack isn't starting every game. It's it's a decent um, backup option. You just you never know with Fred, but we're we're glad to yeah. see he's turning it around a little bit. Well, here. I, I'm going to take a little bit of credit for Fred's turnaround because last after the Ottawa game, I too went and picked up Jack Campbell <laughs> on my fantasy team, and Freddie has turned it around since then. So I, I'm going to take a little bit of credit for that since we're uh, talking about being superstitious. I dropped Joe Thornton from my lineup and then he scored, but then he got hurt after it. So I don't know how that factors into my kind of my luck or, or cursing or whatever it might be. But the minute I dropped him, he scored a goal. So that wasn't fun. <laughs> um another you know we were talking a little bit about the depth scoring and and you know how, how these guys looked in the absence of Matthews and and with Thornton and, and Robertson out and you know there was some talk kind of about bottom sixes and it, like depth depth is is an issue and it's a, it's a particularly hot topic I think in the Canadian division right like you've got got the Habs who kind of lack the high end but they're looking really good with um you know the 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 uh, depth of talent that they have at, at forward, like they can roll out three really strong lines, even if you know they don't have the game breakers. And, and then you got you know the Canucks, who I, I we talked about this like preseason, um, and you know I, I kind of mentioned that they they could be like an interesting team as like having you know the, those few stars in place, but then the depth isn't very good, and the depth is yeah. very bad, <laughs> and. Uh, Keith, you you kind of dug into into like some of the um, you know other lines around the league and looking at how the Leafs stack up and uh, has it been completely you know thrown out of whack? I guess now with uh, with all these. Well, injuries? a little bit, yeah. It was more just like I, it seemed to be a common thing that I was hearing and reading, and it was just like you know the Leafs secondary scoring and and I don't disagree that you know it's it that it is a concern or something to be you know cognizant of, but. I I looked around the rest of the division and like it's not like everybody has these spectacular third lines that are all getting you know fifty points each or something like that. They're third lines for a reason. They're, they're, these guys aren't in the top six for a reason. Most teams don't have good third lines. So like I like me, we talked about you know Montreal. Montreal does have probably the best third line I would say in the North Division with uh, Toffoli, Kakaniemi, and Armia, but. That's they also don't have the firepower of uh, you know an excellent top six either. So like the, the that kind of makes sense when you when you look at it on a on a kind of whole. But like you know looking around the rest like Mott, Beagle, and Sutter. That's I would take the Leafs third line over that every day of the week. And Archibald and Shore and whoever else they throw out there in in, in Edmonton. That's you know the, it's not a unique to the Toronto Maple Leafs problem that the third line is not getting two or three goals every night. Like I, I think it's a bit of an unrealistic expectation. Are, should they contribute? Absolutely. But if they go a couple games without a goal, I don't think we need to, you know, burn the team down and, and rebuild it because the bottom six isn't producing. It's, it's a pretty common. Yeah. Thing. Well, I think that maybe 
people are just a little more antsy. It could, we talked about it before, like the, the Leafs shooting percentage as a whole is kind of low so far this season. Um, Matthews, I think he was, before he got hurt, I think he was leading the league in shots on goal and had only scored two. That wasn't going to to keep going that way and it won't keep going that way once he returns to the lineup he's going to get his goals Nylander's going to get his goals so maybe there's been a little bit more focus on the 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 lack of secondary scoring but once the big guns get going and the pucks start finding the back of the net like you said you just need uh, minimal contributions offensively from your bottom six and especially if that third line is able to continue taking on the, those heavy minutes and shutting down opposing top lines, it, the the lack of offense isn't as big of a concern from that group. That's kind of a, another factor to it as well, is that the Leafs' third line isn't really asked to be doing a whole lot offensively. They're getting tough assignments. They're getting defensive zone starts. They're getting every team's kind of you know top offensive threats against them. So... Yeah, I don't. You don't expect to see Kerfoot and Mikheyev and and Hyman when he was down there, you know, on the score sheet every night. And that's not what keeps. Ha- that's not how keeps deploying them. And the team, in total across the board, yeah, like yeah, they're having some bad shooting percentage luck right now too. But they're also a lot more bought into playing a two hundred foot game, which you sacrifice a bit of offense when that happens. It's going to happen. Hopefully, it doesn't look like Wednesday night against Edmonton all the time. But I do think you're you're not going to see, you know, the track meet run and gun that we've come to love and hate about the Leafs in the past with this iteration of the team, at least not right away until they maybe settle into this system that they bought into a little bit more and get more comfortable with it, which allows them to open up a bit more, especially kind of off the rush. But yeah, I, I think that there's been a conscious effort to play more defensively. That's got to affect how the, how they're generating scoring chances. They're not getting a lot of luck right now with the puck and the third line's been kind of been fed to the wolves. So it, it makes sense that you're not seeing a lot of secondary scoring. Can I just add that I feel like and I don't, it's not like, I mean I do this too, but I think that this is kind of, at least it looks in the early days, like close to the team that Leafs fans were asking for for a while. More balanced, more solid defensively. So, like, maybe we just, like, breathe for a little and, and give it, like, we also need to settle into the system and, and give it a chance to to show us what it's supposed to look like. This is what everyone was yelling about for the past few seasons, and now it's here. We've got it. They're they're not running up the score like they were or outshooting their bad, def- you know, outscoring their bad defensive play. They're not doing that. So why why is everyone complaining? Not you guys. It's, it's, it's everyone out, else. It's outrageous. Twitter is 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 not fun to be on right now. Everybody's. I don't think. Yeah, like it's a good point. We like the fan base needs to settle into this version of the team because right now everybody's on tilt. Well, and and it comes, you know, with with the territory of being, um, you know, uh, expected to be like a contender, right? And you're, you're you're measuring them up against, you know, the the best of the best, and and it's it's not reasonable because like hockey's a game of mistakes, right? So it's like obviously with all of the circumstances with COVID, with the shortened camps, like you're not going to be clipping along at a hundred percent five games into the season. So. Uh, but you know, it's like, wh- what else are you going to talk about? I guess between games, and it's just, it's, it's too much. It's like, I, I just, I, I don't even tweet. <laughs> like, I here's, here's why I'm excited. We're going to talk about NWHL in a little bit. Like, I'm excited for that, so I can just tweet like, 
that was a good play. Yeah. <laughs> nice shot. Yeah. Great rush. And like, no one's going to try to cut yeah. my head off for it. Like, I'm yeah, very excited I, for that. I, I was, I just, I, I have tried to say a few times on Twitter and actually it's gone okay with the occasional not going okay that like, for the most part, by and large, I'm liking what I'm seeing this even this season, even Wednesday's game. Like I said, when we were just sort of starting out the conversation, like they played well defensively as much as the game kind of sucked to watch for the most part, other than that, that really bad Ottawa game that they've done pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. It, it was, it was a rough start and it's like, it, it started people spinning out and now it's kind of rebounding and it's like, we got to come back to, uh, come back to earth here a little bit. Um, well, we also it, went so long without hockey and everyone had all these pent up <laughs> takes and they yes. are letting yeah. them yeah. loose now. Yeah. Molten, molten takes. Um, Leafs head out west now, uh, a couple in Calgary and then a couple in Edmonton. Um, and, and, you know, this is going to be another test because I, I think the Flames have a really strong team. Um, and, and I think they'll match up well with, with Toronto. Uh, Mayor, how many th- times do you think we're going to see Jack Campbell out west? Yeah, I mean, I hope that, I, I mean, how many times do I want to see Jack Campbell out west? No, I, I would love if they would give them... <laughs> if they would split them 50-50. But again, just for the load management, now that we we lost Arendelle, our goalie depth is cut, you know, quite significantly because you don't, despite my best attempts, you don't have a full team of goalies. So <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see them give Freddie, you know, a cut now that, that things feel a little more comfortable, you know, split the games between them. But but really, what do I actually think is going to happen? I think we'll see Campbell play one game. Uh, but maybe like we said before, they they probably, as Fred is feeling better, the team is probably also feeling better about maybe giving him those nights off where they don't seem like so much of a punishment as they do just giving him a night off and letting Campbell take the net for that night. So now that he's kind of gotten his feet back under him and has a few solid games under his belt – they might be more willing to, you know, ease that workload on them a little bit. They might. I think, I mean, I never, I am, maybe I'm alone in this in the hockey world, but I never, I never assume that I know more about what the team should do than the coaching staff. But what I would do is, is start Freddie on the, no, sorry, start Jack on the first game out West and then put Freddie back in, and if he still plays well after a game off, because Freddie is prone a little bit to losing steam when he has to take a break. So yeah, and, and he's a guy that wants to play all the time. That's been well documented right. as well. So, so I would start Jack and then test Freddie on the second game, and if he still is steady, then just then alternate them. Yeah, and it, it's great that Freddie is getting it together, and you want want to keep that going, and maybe you want to keep him in the net, but. To your earlier point, we also have to worry about keeping the other guys ready, and that includes Jack Campbell's, because you never know when we're going to need him, and I think it's important to still get him a significant amount of action as the season progresses, even if it's not, like you said, always on back-to-backs or after a poor Freddie performance. Just start using him with a little more regularity, and I think that we will see that on this trip. Yeah, I think that it was interesting to hear Keith make a point to say that it wasn't going to be just back-to-backs that, that we see Campbell. Um, because re- I think it was after the blue and white game when we did our podcast, we, we looked at the schedule and there's there actually aren't that many back-to-backs. Like for what you would expect in a, a like a condensed season, I think I thought there was going to be 
a lot more. There's a lot of like every other day or, you know, three, you know, there are a couple like three and fours. There's definitely some, some con like it's condensed, but there weren't as many straight up back to backs as I thought there were going to be. So I, I did have that thought of, you know, are we only going to see Campbell six or seven times this year because of the fact that there's only six or seven back to backs. So yeah, I, I think that especially on a road trip like that, a 50-50 split would make a ton of sense. I was going to say, there was a coach last season, I don't remember who it was, but it was someone who was trying to dig at us a little bit, who who made a comment that, you know, contenders, Stanley Cup winning teams don't just have one good goalie. And that stuck with me for some reason, even though I can't remember who said it. Um, because I think it's true. If you look at the teams that have gotten to the finals in the last few years, they don't have their starting goalie playing 90% of the games. Uh, that's just, you know, that's just not good strategy. I've been ready for a tandem for a while. Uh, I think tandems are are not necessarily like a 50-50 tandem, but like a 60-40 a ride the hot hand kind of thing only makes sense, you know, for two human beings to keep them, keep them fresh, keep their, you know, both from a mental standpoint and a physical standpoint to be sharp, you know, to not have to go in and grind every night. But I, I think maybe there are guys that are maybe built that way a bit more like that want the net every night. And if they don't have it, there's a, a mental aspect of that that comes with it. But yeah, I think that it's a good point. You're, you're seeing tandems and you're seeing guys play, you know, a 50-30 game split a lot more often now. Well, and to your point about good teams, championship caliber teams needing to have more than one good goaltender, if the Leafs had gotten anything at all from the backup position last year before Campbell was brought anything. in, they would have been in a better position going into the the summer return to play and they might not have had to play an opponent as, as difficult as Columbus. So, yeah, it's definitely important to have more than one goaltender that's capable of giving you a, a game that, you know, maybe the offense isn't going and the goaltender has to do... Even to a game like tonight, where Freddie was probably the best leaf on the ice, despite the team playing well as a whole. You know, you need that once in a while, and it, it can't just be coming from the guy that's expected to play most of the games. The, the best part about that is that the goalie that did give... Vasilevsky a break last year was McElhaney. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> oh, it's, the, it's the Leafs' turn, honestly. Like, I say it kind of, like, petulantly, but it, it, I, I truly believe that Jack Campbell is a solid goalie with the potential to be a starter at some point in the future. Um, and I don't think, you know, because of the shortened season last year, he didn't get as much of a chance to play with the Leafs as he would have. Um, and they, they need to just get him out there for all the reasons we've said, but also because um, Freddie's in a, this is it. Like yeah. after this season, the chances of Freddie being back are slim, if at all. And and Jack Campbell might be our goalie next season. So they have to know what they have in him. Yeah. And Cam kind of alluded to this on our last episode about some of these, you know, maybe late blooming goalies who came in with the high pedigree like Campbell or a Jacob Markstrom. So I don't know what you think of the whole situation, Cam, as far as, you know, Freddie being in a contract year and how much the Leafs might want to see from Campbell this year. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with, you know, the crew of you. I, I think that you want to like I'd like to see the split um, out West. I was a little surprised that he didn't get one of those games against against Edmonton. And I think that you want to see a little more like I, I wasn't expecting him to just get like the back to backs. And obviously they you know, we were talking about that. But um, I, I think that. 
um, you know, it, it, there's at least a, a solid chance that he could be like, like you said, Keith, like a, a platoon guy, a tandem guy um, for a, a few years. And maybe even like the top end guy of a tandem. Uh, like, I, I don't know that he's, you know, a, a surefire, like 60 game starter, 65 game starter at any point in his career. But I think that he's he's a guy who could have a few really solid years still in, in the league. He's still young enough and he's, he's got some of the pedigree. You go and get a veteran like a, a Grice or a, a Kudobin or, or somebody like that and, and pair it with a, you know, with a Campbell. That's going to be cheaper than than what you've been paying Freddie. And, and I don't know, you know, not to knock Freddie when he's you know he's playing very well right now but i don't know if a frederick anderson as a number one with campbell as a backup is that much better than a jack campbell and you know a solid veteran on a million dollar contract not only from a performance standpoint but a performance per dollars you know on the cap and just from a resource allocation standpoint like is is he is he worth that three and a half or four million dollars more than like on his next contract i don't if he's re-signing with the Leafs, I would expect it to be for a raise on the five million per year that he's making right now. So, is it worth the the extra four million when you, the team is going to be hard pressed to find money for Mayor's favorite players at <laughs> Diamond? Who I think that we would all agree. He's got to be priority number one. It, it, yeah, he's got to be priority oh, yeah. number one to retain over Freddie, no matter how well Freddie plays this yep. year. I think just because of the volatility of goalies and Zach Hyman is the exact opposite. You know what you're getting from him every single night. He's just such a key part of this team. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on from uh, Leafs talk, I guess I guess there's a little bit of Leafs talk as, as we get into uh, uh, Mike Babcock, who um, is you know returning to the broadcast booth or, or joining the broadcast booth this weekend, and uh, the Athletic ran a piece, um, you know, where they they caught up with our old pal Babs um, to see what he's been up to. Uh, since getting canned by the Leafs, and uh, it was not good. Uh, it was, I mean, look, like sports, this is what sports journalism is, right? Like it's access journalism, you know, it, expecting much more than that from a story um, like this, which is such a clear uh, not a puff piece, but like a, it's like it's image rehab is what it is. It, it sure felt um, like Pierre Lebrun. Who, no offense to him, I, I love Pierre. I think he's great, but it, it sure it read a lot like a, a favor to Babs. Yeah, but Mary, you wrote about this for the Least Nation. Yeah, um, there are a lot of of issues that go into this, but to me, I think it's like the biggest thing is there are players who were named in in uh when, when everything broke after he was fired about mitch marner and then uh, johan franzen coming out like th- those players were mentioned in this piece but seemingly no follow-up with them and, and to me that's a big problem yeah that was i think that was my biggest problem with it too which i wrote about um just today uh for the leaf nation um but you know there was a re- there were reports a year and a bit ago that came out and were public and Babcock even commented on them at the time and confirmed that the quote unquote Mitch Marner list incident happened and so now to come back with this very convenient timing of right before he goes on the air and say oh no no, no the story that i confirmed a year and a half ago or whatever it was wasn't actually the story i wasn't aware of what they were saying like that just is 
hollow and disingenuous, like hard stop to me. You let a story like this get published and confirmed it without even checking what the story was. And now you're backtracking and saying, no, that's not how it happened. That that's like that's just bullshit yeah and, and like and the like the the way that he said it happened wasn't even like uh it, it wasn't at all um absolving of him like no, it, was, it wasn't better no it wasn't it didn't make it sound that <laughs> much know, better no. it was just like yeah i was shitty in this slightly different way yeah actually and then the athletic and, and pierre lebron gave him the platform to do that without any due diligence to be like by the way, you know, we reached back out to Marner to see if, you know, he wanted to talk about like even if they had said Marner had no comment or whatever it was, but like at least make it like pretend you cared to look into it. Yeah. I think that the the idea behind the interview was was probably had good intentions maybe as far as Babcock saying he didn't feel comfortable stepping back into the spotlight without, you know, maybe addressing some of these prior issues for, from that came up after his firing with the Leafs, but the execution of the entire thing, like yeah. the, he seemed more concerned with how Franzen's accusations made him feel than, than what he had actually put a guy like Johan Franzen through. And by all accounts, what the, the way that he treated Franzen was just totally unacceptable in any line of work. And it's due time that, you know, hockey is no different than that as far as, you know, treating your employees and coworkers and peers with some level of respect. When, when someone who played for you calls you the worst person they ever met, I think that's a it's pretty, pretty, it's a pretty yeah. damning statement. Yeah. He, he, played major victim in that segment of the interview where he went on and on about how yeah, it hurt and him. quickly pulled the, his mental health initiatives and things yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. And the thing is like, to me, the story there was, um, this guy's had all this time and, and he has not reflected an ounce, but the, the treatment that he got from the athletic was like, he's back and here, here it is. And it, there was no like interrogation of like, you know, this guy hasn't, it doesn't actually seem to have, uh, uh, you know, considered his his actions at all. Um, so it was it was disappointing. My favorite, and I say that like facetiously, part of the whole thing that that really made me feel like, uh, you know, and and I I agree, I have respect for Pierre LeBron, but like he he gave a whole sort of he talked a little bit about. Babcock's volunteer role like with college hockey over the last year and a half and then later on in the article mentions how he's still getting whatever it is 5.875 million a year <laughs> how volunteer are you if you're getting six million dollars a year somewhere like that's not volunteer you're not doing this out of the kindness of your heart like <laughs> yeah he's just bored <laughs> yeah so like to use that language that that puffy like fluffy frou-frou language why are we giving this man this platform without any pushback at all? Even like at the beginning of the piece, I thought when he was talking about his time off before, you know, the pandemic hit and traveling with his wife and how everything is spectacular and everything is grand. And it just made me, you know, once again, really thankful that the Leafs are now being coached by, you know, someone that isn't a cartoon character. And someone who seems real when they speak. And I, I can't imagine, you know, they talk about 
coaches losing the room and their message getting stale. Can you can you imagine listening to Mike Babcock and that that bravado day after day for years? How quickly that would wear on people, and, and how how apparent was it among the players immediately upon Sheldon Keefe's arrival? Like I remember the first game. I think it was Travis Dermott doing one of those pregame yeah. interviews at the boards in the warm up. Yeah. Like he, he couldn't, couldn't contain yeah. his joy. Yeah. He was so happy, so so happy, and yeah, if, if, like even Babcock in the piece, kind of referring to himself in the third person about you know his relationship with Mitch and how you know did we have a relationship and was it good and yada yada. Like I can't, I don't want to speculate and pretend that I know the ins and outs of Mitch Mariner's personal life, but I can't imagine still holding any level of respect or admiration for a man that that would do something like that to you as a kid in a professional setting so it it was definitely like um done in with the intention of repairing his image before returning to the spotlight of the hockey world and you know maybe a little PR for the the upcoming uh, coaching vacancy in Seattle or elsewhere. I I wonder if, I truly wonder if it was, so was it last week? I think it was last week when NBC announced the analysts and it was, you know, Babcock's name was up there and there was, there was quite a bit of uproar on social media. And I, I do wonder if this was thrown together in the aftermath of that. Yeah, that's quite plausible considering that they made a point to say that he didn't feel right about stepping back, you know, into the into the bright lights without, you know, after just being silent since his fire. Oh, I, I, I do wonder. And I just, to tie this back to an earlier conversation we had, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I also am not convinced that Austin Matthews would have been able to take sort of a maintenance day today if Mike Babcock was the coach. No. Yeah, that's a fair point too. Yeah, you're no. probably right. If all four limbs are still attached, he's, you're playing. <laughs> right. Unless you're Mike Madano and it is your yeah. <laughs> on pace for your 1500 yeah. game. Or Jason Spezza no starting way in your hometown. You, yeah. He's just an ass. <laughs> Can't do it. Got to play Nick Shore. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just that's the thing that gets me is that it, it's clearly it was clearly you know for for image purposes and it's like it did more damage mm-hmm. than anything you know it, there was no sincerity and therefore it blew up in his face and good enough for him i don't think you could say it any better than that yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can check out um more mayor's thoughts on that on uh, the leafs nation and, and mayor you were busy as we said this week you also wrote about uh the toronto six and we're like 13 hours from puck drop yeah. as we record this so Try to, try to wrap things up and get it out here before the six hit the ice. I got the first game of the uh, uh, the whole uh, bubble. So um, you, you spoke to their coach and president, right? That, that's an interesting yep. uh, dual dual role. I don't know if I've seen coach president before. That's cool. It's interesting that you mentioned that because we we spoke about that, but um, D- Digit asked me to hang on to some of that for a later. Uh, conversation maybe postseason um, where cool. we talked and I'll just I'll vague it a little bit but we talked a bit about how the structure of the women's hockey organizations has to be different than the structure of men's hockey organizations because the because of the funding they don't have the money to have different people in each role um, doing different things they just don't have that right. that luxury to be honest yeah and uh, Digit Murphy is I think going to be um, 
you know, uh, I, I, I was kind of saying this to, to Nick and Keith before you joined us, Mayor. Like, it, it feels like, you know, this is a this is a team, the six who, you know, they're an expansion team. They've only had kind of limited practice time. Right. It, it kind of feels like they're going to go as far as this veteran coach is going to bring them and, and get them, you know, on the same page, doesn't it? Yeah, that was that was her big thing, too. She. She said to me uh, sort of a quote or a paraphrase that I didn't include in the article that that she believes in this team and she thinks they have what it takes, but she also doesn't want to um, raise unrealistic expectations in the fan base because they only have six or seven practices together as a full team. That's it before heading to the bubble. Um, you know, so they need to very quickly shift to being on the same page, to learning the systems all the systems um, and to operating as one unit uh, in order to win. And she thinks that, you know, she knows that the talent and the skill is there, but that's not all that makes a team, as we know, as Leafs fans, that's not all that makes a team successful. (laughs) So, um, you know, they're very cognizant of that. And I think, you know, they, they would love to go out and win um, the Isabel cup. Like they would love that this season. But I also think that, like she said, you know, when I asked her, I said, what would you say is the team's identity? She paused for a minute and then said, we have fun. Yeah, that's a good way to be. Yeah. And I, she said, you know, she said, we're fast, we're furious, we're going to go out, we're going to hunt pucks, but we're all in all, we're having fun. And she said her message to the women on the ice is you're never going to be on this ice with these women in this in this setup ever again. It's never going to be exactly like it is now. So take it all in and enjoy it. That's her message to them. And, and I, I just... Digit Murphy is someone who the way that she wants to run her Toronto Six organization is that they're not just a hockey club. She's so much about um, inclusion and um, equality and social justice and 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 just and women's issues in general, not just not just women's sport and women's hockey, but just women's empowerment and and all of that. And so I think that she just has goals that that might that transcend on ice play. Um, and that's another that's another difference almost, I think, between um, women's hockey right now and men's hockey, because um, there's so much more tied into professional women's sports than than just the sport. Yeah, and they have greater concerns about trying to grow their game that, you know, maybe don't face the men. And like you said, they're more in tune with the the outside world because these women really play the play for the love of the game. You know, they, yeah. they aren't they don't have the million dollar contracts and things like that that we see from the men's professional leagues. And hopefully that you know, someday we're working towards that. And I think that this bubble is going to be a great showcase for just how much talent there is out there, even with all of the the, uh, the other national team players who are part of the, the Professional Women's Hockey Association who are not taking part in the NWHL season. There's still such a great amount of talent on these teams. Uh, I'm so excited that it's finally going to be kind of put on display for people to see and it, it's going to be accessible for people to tune into. I'm really looking forward to catching some high quality women's hockey in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great. Like we said, there's a game tomorrow. There's a game Sunday. Um, TLN is fortunate to have access to the post game zoom press conferences for the Toronto six. So there should be, um, content coming out about the games, um, whenever there are games and, um, it'll be really exciting. I'll be tweeting the games when I'm watching them for sure. But, um, I just, I think that, this is Toronto, you know, the we're Toronto hockey fans. This is this is a natural 
um, this is a natural team for us to embrace and and love and and support. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, Mary, you talked about kind of the differences, right? And and you also talked about the identity, which is, you know, we have fun. And that's like something I'm looking forward to because like when all these bubbles came up, it just it felt like, you know, the NHL bubble lacked the fun of like the NBA bubble at times. And I, I, I'm a big WNBA fan and I, I enjoyed watching their bubble action and like it was so fun like it was just the the environment and uh like just the the fun little stuff that they were doing kind of like um you know aside from what was happening on the quarter in this case on the ice like i know that there are, are there going to be all kinds of um banners in the in the uh, we we're talking about this on our last podcast the uh, the banners that'll be in the um or the cutouts yes, i yeah. guess yeah, in, the, the blue, the in the stands and yeah yep, yeah a lot yeah. of other professional teams and um other professional women's teams are setting cut sending cutouts and it's great that's awesome because even that is great exposure for this event that's the, getting set to take place you know when people that follow the Toronto Blue Jays social media see the, the, them posting pictures of their cutouts at the Toronto Six game. You know, it, it's just more it's more eyes on the product and more eyes on on these women who are that take so much time out of their everyday life. It, like back to them not having the million dollar contracts and things like that. Like a lot of these women have full, full time jobs. jobs. They don't yeah. have the the funding from the you know the the governing bodies of or the hockey governing bodies from their respective countries. Uh, it, it's just, it's really admirable that to see what kind of work and how much effort they put into being professional athletes and still maintaining their everyday lives. Yeah, no. And yeah. I, I think it's so great that the, um, the semifinals and the finals are going to be on NBC in the, in the U S obviously, um, you know, it just, it does, it gives a, the le- a level of cachet and respect to the game that that it deserves but that it hasn't gotten yet yeah well and big props to you for getting all this going at the leafs nation and really taking the lead on on our coverage for the six uh i I think that people are going to be really excited about what you guys have coming for for the next few weeks here it's going to be some good stuff thank you yeah looking forward to uh to the whole season and and the coverage because there's lots of great coverage like you know you you mentioned yours at the the leafs nation mayor obviously but uh lots of other great um you know previews that i've been reading up on like the ice gardens putting out a ton of good stuff Ice garden is amazing yeah ice garden should be your like one-stop shop. If anyone's listening to this and and isn't yet an NWHL fan and wants to learn about it, start at the Ice Garden. They have primers. They have um, articles about every team. They're fantastic. Yeah, they've got a ton of stuff there. Um, so it, it's going to be fun. And it feels like, you know, it, it, there's going to be more people following this NWHL season than anyone in the past. So um, really excited for it. And, uh, um, y- you know, we kind of just been talking about it almost in the abstract for, for these last few weeks. So it's going to be nice to actually get it on the ice and, and try to, you know, be able to actually talk about the team and, and the players. And, uh, Mary, do you kind of um, like I know that this team is going to be really heavy on rookies. Right. Yeah. I mean, they did. They did make some trades. They do have some um, veteran players coming in. The three captains are great. Um, Emma, Emma and Cheyenne. Um, so and they're they're well known. Cheyenne is is sort of like an all star. Um, and I so I think that there's a good balance there. Um, actually, Digit also told me that all three captains were coached um, in college by uh, a coach that 
Digit herself had coached. So that was like a nice connection for her. Um, and that helped, oh, I think, cool. a little bit with understanding some of the systems and things like that. So um, it's not it's not all rookies. There are some. And, and I, I think that they have a rookie goalie. But um, uh, they have a nice mix. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, it's going to be um, going to be an exciting season. It's going to be a fast season. Like it, it's going to yeah, fly by. Um, but we're looking forward to it. Um, going to be a lot of fun. And uh, should mention as well that you know Nick, you kind of mentioned the uh, uh, PWHPA. They they have. Um, a camp going on right now for the um, Canadian women, and it looks like at, at this point the uh, um, World Women's Hockey Championship in Halifax is still Halifax and Truro. Can't forget Truro. Um, still set to go. It looks like for this year. I mean, we'll, we'll see over the next few months. But they had a camp going, obviously, um, featuring the the players who are not going to be participating in in the uh, NWHL season. But uh, we'll be keeping an eye. On that, and uh, yeah, looking looking forward to uh, like like you said, tweeting about it, and uh, you know, not I don't know, Mary. What's the goaltending depth? Have you? Uh, yeah, I know they <laughs> they don't get to bring so many players to the bubble. I think that they might have three going in. It's two or three, um, but you know, I I I will definitely know more about the the Toronto six goalies after tomorrow for everyone. Um, well, we might I, have to get you to suit up if they're that thin. Yeah, I know they it's, they, I think they only, what did digit tell me? I think she said they only bring 25 people to the bubble, like all told. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's really, they're not huge rosters. Yeah. Well, most times I, I, I believe the teams are made up of like three lines and three defensive yeah. pairings rather than, the, the typical four lines that we see in uh, in the yeah. NHL. So, um, and also, I mean, it makes sense then that it's a shortened season too because they really don't have room for like injuries and call ups and those sorts of things. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun uh, over the next couple of weeks for the NWHL season. Um, Mayor, thank you so much for for joining us. This was a blast. Thank you. Yeah, this it is was. a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, this is yeah, hopefully not the last time. Let's let's set something up here for the near future. This was great. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll do it again for sure. Um, who knows? Maybe Jack Campbell is a starter. No, we're, we're not going to no, jinx. No, we're like not going to jinx. We're, we're like we're like in Fred's uh, play right now. So. Credit where it's due. We'll hope yeah. for good things for all the goalies. Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much for for, for doing this. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get you on again soon. And uh, uh, much appreciated. We, we appreciate you taking the time and sharing Leafs Insight and also the uh, the NWHL. And we're, we're looking forward to your coverage there. Thank you. You can follow Mayor on Twitter at Mayor Out Loud. Uh, myself at Carl P. Lash. Nick at underscore Nick Richard. And Keith is at Keith Whip. You can also follow our podcast Twitter at Lamenting Leafs. And uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, podcasts would love if you would uh, leave us a review subscribe all that good stuff uh thanks again to mare for coming on we're going to finish this show off with uh loviet who we played back on episode two or three uh they've got a new single they are from nova scotia and they're here right now but uh once this whole pandemic thing is cleared up you can catch them in toronto quite a bit that's where they're based so if you are in the same boat uh check them out live put on a great show and the new single is dull shine from loviet go leafs go